0: Would you take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Acts? The book of Acts chapter six, Acts chapter six and Acts chapter seven. We're going to be reading from the book of Acts chapter seven in a few moments. Um, But we're going to pray and we're going to ask God's blessing upon our our word today. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that we have to serve you and honor you. We thank you for the blessings of God that you have brought into our hearts and to our lives. And we ask you today, Lord, that you would move mightily and powerfully in through the preaching of your word. I pray that you would work in me first, Lord, and Lord, that you would allow the word to accomplish the purposes for which it was sent. And I'll praise you and thank you, Father, because we know that you do hear us and you answer us when we pray. And we ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Have you ever heard the term? Don't shoot the messenger. You ever heard that before? Don't kill the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. I don't know why the Lord has put this message on my heart, and I tried to get away from it, but he continues to bring back this message back to my mind and my heart. If you've ever taught or shared something, something that the Lord put on your heart, there's sometimes where you understand what God is saying. And you can see from the very beginning, I know what the end results of what he's looking to accomplish. There's other things that God asks you to do or to say. And you look at yourself in the mirror and you are like, what are you doing? Why am I supposed to? You know, it's kind of funny. You know, we've heard testimonies before of people who would, they would be in need. One of the families from our church told about time years ago when they'd run out of finances. And they were just a young couple. And they needed toilet paper. And a neighbor who they did not know comes down the street, knocks on their door with a bag of groceries with this big, big mega roll of toilet paper and said to them, I don't know why I'm supposed to bring this, but God just kept putting on my heart that I'm supposed to bring this down to you. And they didn't know that the person was inside saying, God, we don't even have money for toilet paper. What are we going to do? God, please provide for us. And here's this lady who feels like, You know, you feel like you're an idiot taking toilet paper down to the neighbors. Hey, here you go. But what's so cool is whenever you know at the end that you've heard from God. And what's even more cool than that is when you know that God is speaking to you. When you know that the creator of the universe who has all things in his power in his hands is concerned about the very most basic, simplest details of your life. And that he knows exactly what's going on. He even knows the thoughts and the intents of your heart. He knows what you're crying out to him for right now. As we say that in Acts chapter 7, we find the account of the first martyr and his name is Stephen. Stephen was selected as the result of a problem. The church had a problem. There were people complaining about, wait, our widows aren't being taken care of. The Grecian widows, they're not being taken care of. It's not being fair. It's not being rightfully handled. They come to the apostles and the disciples and they're saying, look, the ministry is expanding. We have a lot of things going on. It wouldn't be right for us to neglect the word of God to take care of this. So they chose seven men who were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now here's the thing, to carry out the ministry of the church, it requires men and women who are filled with the Holy Spirit. That was one of the major priorities. And you know, if you want God to use you, you and I need to continually go back to him and plug into him and allow him to fill our lives with his Spirit. Because on a daily basis, we kind of run dry. On a daily basis, our energy begins to sap out of us, and we become to get weary and tired, and we need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. But they chose seven men who were filled with the Holy Spirit and power, and one of those men was Stephen. Now, Stephen was one of the first deacons of the church. The Bible says that he was a man full of the Spirit, And it says that no one could stand against his wisdom. It wasn't just a a natural wisdom. He had this gift of wisdom that God gave him, God revealed to him. And when God wants to do something new in our lives, when God wants to take us a little further, we often experience a time of resistance to that. If God's trying to set you free in an area, If God's trying to take you further, if He's trying to open up a new level in your life, you'll often find that there's resistance. When God wants to accomplish something in a church or in a community, we know that resistance will arise. We expect resistance to come from outside. We know that the enemy resists God's people. We know that the enemy resists God's plan. The enemy resists God's purposes. You think about it again and again throughout history when God was raising up a deliverer. Jesus and Moses, what are they trying to do from very, even before they're born? The enemy's trying to abort God's plan. He was trying to kill God's plan even before it started. And I can guarantee you if you start to move out... In the things of the Spirit. If you start to be used of God, you can be assured that the enemy will try to abort God's plan in your life before it even starts. And so some of us, some of us are are like, we talked about Timothy recently, are sometimes a little fearful. Some of us by nature, if things don't go our way, we kind of are like, well, maybe that wasn't God. Maybe I didn't hear from God. There's gonna be resistance, and we know that resistance is gonna come from outside. But sometimes resistance comes from those who are close to you. Sometimes resistance comes from that person who's supposed to be your supporter. Sometimes resistance comes from your spouse or your children or your parents and people who we think are in tune with God. Sometimes they get kind of out of tune with the Lord. We have to be careful because the enemy can use us. He can use us to hinder what God is doing in someone else's life. He can use our attitudes. And my wife, she understands. She even knows my breathing. Just my very breath. She knows, like, what's the matter? I didn't say anything. No, she knows my facial expressions, my breathing, just the silence. It's kind of crazy. Almost like a thought will go through my mind. And she's kind of, what's the matter? Resistant. It can come from those close to you. And resistance can also come from inside of you. There's times that God's trying to do something new in your life. He's trying to stir something up in you. And resistance can come from inside of you. Do you realize that you can be resisting the good thing that God is trying to do in your life? Because you want to have control? Or because you insist on handling things your way? How many of you like to turn over the wheel when you don't know where you're headed? How many of you like to just say, well, okay, here was my plan, but I'll just give it up right now. And whatever you want, Lord, Stephen's message is the longest recorded message in the book of Acts. And this shows the importance to the Holy Spirit, because we know that all scripture is inspired by God. And we know that scripture is profitable for us. And so the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to record this message from Stephen. Stephen was a Grecian Jew. And by his life and words, he prepared the way for the gospel to reach outside of Judaism. Stephen was preaching something that day that opened up the gospel to people like you and me here in New Holland today. To Gentiles. Okay? And he was expanding the kingdom of God. And this message cost him his very life. And you know, if you're going to do things for God, there's times that it's going to cost you. It doesn't just cost other people. If you're going to do something for God, there's times a cost that it's going to require of you. And can I just say this? There's so many people today who, and at times maybe we're all guilty of it. No matter what God asks, they're constantly trying to negotiate with God to get him to lower the cost. God asks of uh, something of us, and you know, it's almost, you know, they're just constantly trying to work him down. God, do you really need that from me? God, do you really require that from me? God, you know, why should I have to? So-and-so doesn't have to. Why do I have to be faithful? Look around me. All these other people aren't being faithful. Why do I have to keep doing something that I don't feel like doing? Why do I have to be the one who makes these sacrifices? Why do I got to be faithful when other, other people, they don't have to be faithful? Why do you chew me out? Why do you call me on the carpet when everybody else seems to get away with it? But friend, God is looking for some people who are willing to pay the price. Who will say, God, what you're asking of me is not too much. It's not too much what you're asking of me. And may I this? A lot of times the reason why we think that what God is asking of us is too much is because we truly don't value him and his plans and his purpose for our lives. We don't really have a clear vision of what he wants to do. Here's a question for you. What did Stephen say in his message that would motivate these people to kill him? This is what he does. He goes back throughout Israel's history and he starts to tell them about themselves and you know here's the truth when someone starts to tell us about ourselves sometimes we don't like that even when it's holy spirit inspired the people didn't like it because he just simply spoke the truth there's three main ideas that run through this message and we're going to read in a few moments from the scripture but simply for time reasons we're going to We'll just wait a few moments till we do that reading. The first main idea that you find throughout the chapter of Acts chapter 7, it's kind of like a main theme or a main chord that kind of runs through there, is that there is progress and change in God's program. There's progress and change in God's program. If you're going to hook up with God, you know, I say for people, if you're going to work with me in certain areas... I need you to be flexible, okay? There's certain positions in the church or certain roles that people play. And if they're gonna work with me, I need them to be flexible. I need them to be kind of adaptable. If they're gonna be like, you know, there's some areas where you can just be like really stiff and and staunch in and and that's okay. There's other areas where we just kind of need to be able to, you know, to bend and to go. You know, even concrete, even concrete, they put expansion joints in there so that it doesn't crack. And there's some things that, In God's program, there's change and there's progress in God's program. God was creative and he was innovative in his dealings with humans and particularly with Israel. And if we would take the time to read through the chapter, Stephen develops this thought in five points. He talks about first the promise of Abraham. From working with the entire human race, the Lord sovereignly called Abraham as the father of the Jews from Mesopotamia to the land of promise and gave him 12 great-grandsons who became leaders of the tribes of Israel. He talks about the journey of Joseph in verses 9 through 16. And this move to Egypt was the fulfillment of God's prediction recorded in verses six through seven. And this was a radical change for Jacob's descendants. And then he talks to him about the deliverance under Moses. A major portion of Stephen's speech or his sermon pertained to Moses and the Exodus, another important aspect of Israel's history. And verses 44 through 46, he talks to them about the building of the tabernacle. Constructing the tabernacle so that it was portable implied that it was temporary. It was called the tabernacle of testimony because it testified of God's presence among the people. And then he talks to them about the construction of the temple. And that's verses 47 through 50. Even the temple was to be a symbol of God's presence and not the very home of God. It was a symbol of his presence, but it wasn't his home. And God's working with the nation from Abraham to Solomon. There was innovation and there was change. And here's the point of that part. If God changed so many things in Israel's history... Who was to say that what's happening with the coming of Christ is not something new that God was doing? God was doing something new. And God worked with His people and He changed and Things adapted. It wasn't exactly the way that they thought it was going to be. But in all of it, God's presence was there and God was working in people's lives. And if they would work with him and yield themselves to him, they would see his plans fulfilled in their lives. The second major point that we find here in this chapter is that the blessings of God are not limited to the land of Israel and the temple area. Now, the religious leaders saw Jesus and the message of his disciples, this message of the gospel as a threat to their position and their power. It was a threat to what they knew. Okay, They understood it from the time of Solomon till the destruction of the temple. What did Jewish worship surround? From the time of Solomon to the time, to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Worship of Yahweh focused upon temple worship, okay? Like, that's the main theme. What are they going to do later on when the temple is destroyed? They don't have a temple. How are they going to worship God? What are they going to do whenever I'm taken 500 miles away and dropped off in another country? How am I going to worship God? wait a minute, we got a problem. If everything revolves around that one piece of real estate of worshiping or connecting with God, and you know, that's one of the things the scripture says, that his worshipers are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay? So God is doing something new. Now, the religious leaders saw, and here's the thing, for the religious leaders of that day, they saw Jesus' message as like a huge threat to them and their position and their power. Wait a minute. See, because who controls the temple? The high priest. Their families, the priestly families. You start messing with this, what do you start messing with? Their bank accounts. You start messing with their livelihood. So you start messing with their power, with their positions. And so whenever these people get fired up, they get really angry. You know, if someone comes in and tries to take you are working at the factory or you're working at a job somewhere or your business, and someone comes in and tries to destroy your business that you've worked for all your life. Okay? So, and what, what Stephen is teaching them is he's saying this. Some of Israel's greatest blessings were given to them apart from the temple and from the land. Stephen gives four examples. And there again, he's gone back to their history. Israel's patriarchs and leaders are blessed outside of the land. It wasn't just in the promised land that God was blessing them. Abraham was called in Mesopotamia and given promises before he lived in Haran. In Egypt, we find that Joseph found Pharaoh with favor because God was with him. That's what it says in this chapter. And Moses was commissioned by God in Midian. Remember? He sees the burning bush. He tells him to take off his shoes for where he's standing. is holy ground. Holy ground in Midian? It's not in the promised land. So the law itself was given outside of the land. The tabernacle was built not in the promised land. The tabernacle was built in the desert. In fact... The Jews brought it with them when they took the land. Even the temple, though it was in the land, was not limited in its theology. How could the temple be God's dwelling place when Scripture declares, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool? So the the temple itself could not contain God. In essence, whenever Stephen stands up to preach to these people, he's telling them this. He's saying God is bigger than what you can presently see. The beauty of the temple and the glory of the promised land is great. But God has plans that are even more far-reaching than this temple, as glorious as it is, and this land. But they were trying to hold on to what they have. God's trying to do something new in their midst. He's trying to do something new in their lives. And they're trying to hold on to what they can see and what they have. And they felt that his message was a threat to that. The third thing that we find in this chapter, in Acts chapter 7, and that Stephen points out to him, is that Israel had a pattern of opposing God's plans and God's men. Israel had a pattern of opposing God's plan and his men. And this is the main point of Stephen's sermon. He says to him, you're just like your fathers. You're just like your dad. You always resist the Holy Spirit. This theme flows throughout Stephen's message, but there's more definite specifics that he points out to him. In verses 2 through 4, he talks about, Instead of going directly from Mesopotamia to the promised land, Abraham tarried in Haran. He talks about Joseph. He says, you guys are just like your fathers. You're resisting the Holy Spirit. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery in Egypt. Moses, until I studied this, I hadn't really kind of put this together. Moses was, it's not something we don't know, but Moses was rejected by the Israelites. It's significant that both Joseph and Moses were not accepted until their second appearance. Had you ever thought about that? Joseph's brothers, they didn't like what he was saying. They didn't like him. They didn't like the attitude or whatever. And they sold him into slavery. They wanted to get rid of him. Okay? The second time they seen, things are a little different. Moses... Moses steps up at this moment in time. You know, the Bible talks about Moses being the most humble man that ever lived. Great humility Moses had. But in this moment of time, Moses steps up, meek man. Moses steps up. There's an Egyptian who's beating an Israelite man. And Moses steps up and protects him. He kills the Egyptian. Then the other Israelites start talking about, what are you going to kill us too? So Moses goes off and runs away. But the second time he came back. The parallel with Christ couldn't have escaped Stephen's hearers. Wait a minute. You guys rejected Moses and he comes back a second time and he's a deliverer for you. Wait a minute. You guys, your father's rejected Joseph. And the second time you get another chance and and he provides for you and saves your family from starvation. Israel rejected true worship by turning to idols. Their unbelief was seen in idolatry, a sin which the Jews of that time abhorred. As a result, God judged them and sent them into exile in Babylon. The people missed the point of the temple. In verse 48 through 50, Stephen implies that the Jews believed the temple was God's dwelling place on earth. Kind of like the Jewish counterpart to Mount Olympia. Indeed, the temple was to be a place of prayer and of worship. But it was not God's home. God can't be contained by buildings. He couldn't be contained by structures. And now we get to Acts chapter 7, verse 51. And it says this. Here's Stephen's words to him. He says, you stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Can you hear them like cocking their guns about right now? <laughs> Landon has this app on his or iPod that, you know, like you can take a picture of someone. And then there's this app where it will send in like a missile. So, you know, you're like, you're standing there in the hall smiling and he has this app. And, you know, this, you take a picture and then all of a sudden this missile comes in and explodes. He says, was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received a law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. Of God, At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Why were they so mad at Stephen? Why did they get so torqued off that they wanted to kill him? Stephen hit a nerve. The reason why they got so mad and they got so furious was because he hit a nerve. He hit on a place that was sensitive to them and they reacted. When you react, you reveal your sensitive spot. You ever been to the dentist? There and they're in there drilling away and blowing air like they're working on your teeth and they're blowing that air on there, and you're like, oh, it reveals a sensitive spot in the day to day thing. I may have not have known it was there, but when you start blowing air on an area that they've been working on, it reveals a place that's sensitive. If you hear the preaching of the word and you react with anger or disdain, it says something about you. Look to the person next to you and say, I think he might be talking to you. I'm teasing. When you hear something, if there's something that you read, you're reading your Bible, and you're like, Ugh. you ever see a kid? You give them a piece of candy, and it's real sour, or something like that, or they bite into something, and it, you know, it's it's sour, and they're like, ooh. There, there's some people who that's how they respond to the Word of God. They're reading something, they're hearing something, and when they hear it, it kind of just something inside of them just kind of cringes. It's an indicator it was saying something about them. Let me give you an example. The word says that we are a chosen generation. The Bible says that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that we should show forth the praises of him who's called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. As such, we're to do things like walk in the light and to keep in step with the Spirit. We're to avoid the very appearance of evil. We're to have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness. We're to lay aside the weights and the sin that so easily beset us and to run with patience the race that's been set before us. We're to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. When this type of word goes forth, people who are passionately pursuing Jesus will fall on their faces and they seek God. Asking him, Lord, preserve me during these times of troubles. Lord, keep me in your ways. Lord, don't let my heart, Lord, you know my heart is prone to wander. Don't let my heart be drawn away from you. God, you know that, that there's, there's temptations and there's trials and there's things that are thrown before me. There's snares that are set before me. God, would you keep me? That's the one side. That's how men and women of God respond when we say about holiness and righteousness and purity. They're saying, God, just keep me, God. God, I know without you, I'm nothing. But I know with you, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God, change my heart. Just give me that heart that, that longs for you, Lord. Lord, as a deer pants for, the, for waters, so may my soul pant for you, oh God. May my heart long for you. God, just, just change me, Lord. I know I need your touch on my life. That's what a man or a woman of God who has a heart that's after him. On the other side, when they hear that type of preaching, on the other side, you have a clown, a carnal clown with one big toe in the church and the rest of his body out in the world. And he'll say things like, oh, they're just getting religious on me. Now you're getting legalistic. This is what I want you to do. I want you to watch the life of that person and see what the fruit reveals in the end. When you start talking about holiness, separation, and being sold out to God, there's always going to be someone who's saying, everybody's legalistic. I don't know why I can't do that. They're missing the point. When you get mad because someone preaches about holiness, you get mad because someone preaches about being separated and, and devoted to God, and you think everybody else and pointing fingers at everybody else and, and get mad about that, it says something about your heart. How you respond to correction shows if you are wise or foolish. A wise man takes correction and says, thank you, may I please have some more? He does. A wise man says, thank you, why? Because he knows, Lord, this is going to help me. And I want to stay close to you, Lord. I want to draw near to you. A fool, a fool despises correction. A fool rejects it. Why did they want to kill Stephen again? Because he spoke the truth. In verse 53, it says, You've received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. Sometimes the truth hurts. Let me say this to you. The truth does not harm us. But sometimes it hurts us. And there's a difference between being harmed and hurt. There's times where the truth hurts because it reveals things about me, about my motives, about my heart. It reveals things about I don't see about myself and I'm grieved and I'm, I'm wounded because of that, but it doesn't harm me. You go to the, the doctor and they give you some kind of treatment. You, your tooth. We'll go back to the dentist. Your tooth is aching and they, they drill your tooth out. It might hurt, doesn't harm you. Okay, and there's things that God does in our lives where it may hurt at that moment, but it doesn't harm us. It's for our good. In fact, it's the truth that will set us free. Many people refuse to see the truth and they choose to reject it. And those people who refuse to see and accept the truth are doomed to continue to take another trip around the mountain. Because God loves you, friend. He's faithful to you. He's committed to you. You can be unfaithful, but God is still faithful. And if you want to take another trip around the mountain, he'll let you do that. He doesn't want you to. If you want to take another trip around there, you want to, you know, recycle. We talked about that last week. You want to go through it again? He'll let you do that. But, friend, he's speaking to the hearts of his people. God was doing something new, and they didn't want to see it. God was doing something new in the nation of Israel. God was doing something new through the coming of Christ, through the the expansion of his kingdom, through the message of the gospel. But the people were rejecting what God was wanting to accomplish. There's a danger for those of us who've walked with the Lord for a period of time. See, because remember whenever Jesus died upon the cross, the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. And Hebrews talks about how God opened up for us a new and living way. And the gospel, the good news was going to go beyond Judaism around the world. It was going to go to the nations. The message of redemption, the message of forgiveness, of peace with God was going to go beyond just the borders of the city of Jerusalem, um, just the borders of of the promised land of Israel. It was going to go much further than that. But there were people who wanted to hold on to that There's a danger for those who've walked with the lord for a period of time It's easy to live in yesterday's blessing And yesterday's experience But I want you to know that god's doing something fresh today One of the saddest things in the world is to see, see you see godly men and women who maybe have have served the lord for 30 40 50 years And at the end of their lives god does a fresh work At the end of their lives, they cross their arms and they become, this is the way he has to do it. All throughout history, all throughout history, God was innovative in dealing with his people. Throughout history, God had a purpose and he had a plan. I don't want to say to you, in the days that we live, you know, we may say that, well, this is how it worked 10 years ago. This is how it worked 30. I'm not talking about change for change's sake. I'm not talking about following the trends. I'm talking about you and I, that whenever God, the spirit blows as it wills. And as God starts to do something new in our lives, that we be excited about that. Sometimes there's chapters of our lives that the Lord shuts the door to. And he says, I got something else for you. Sometimes there's experiences of ways of God dealing with us or, or ways that God used us in the past. He wants to use us in a fresh, new way today. He wants to expand. God has something for you. And when God's word comes forth, don't reject it. Whether His shooting the messenger, whether his word's a word of correction, don't fight it. Receive it. You know, it's funny with our kids. I, you know, my kids, it's like, son, I don't want you doing this. Well, dad, I'll, you know, try to explain it. Dude, you you aren't getting it. You're not getting it. But dad, dad, no, you're, he, he's not getting it. And when God speaks to our hearts and whenever he corrects us, you and I need to, we need to have a reverence for God and a thank you, sir. Tell me more. When the Holy Spirit begins to correct us and he begins to show us some things in our lives where we need to make adjustments, we need to say, thank you, Father. Thank you. Again and again, Israel's pattern was to resist the Holy Spirit. And when they resisted the Holy Spirit, then they ultimately took that out. They killed the prophets. They rejected them. And whenever Stephen's speaking, what do they do? When they hear it, they cover their ears and they start shouting. Ah, You ever see a little kid do that? I'm not listening to you. Ah. That's what some people are like spiritually. When God speaks to them. And you know what? You may not like the message. I wish every message that you hear would be something where you just are like, yeah. Walking on sunshine. Yeah, yeah. Don't it feel good? I wish every message was. But you know what? Every word that God gives us is not necessarily a message of sunshine. There's messages of rebuke. There's a message of correction. There's messages of encouragement. There's all types of messages that God has for us. But you and I need to be thankful that God is speaking to us today. So don't shoot the messenger. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. And it could be your spouse. Sometimes it could be your your kids. Sometimes your kids, children, can say something to mom or dad. And you know, Holy Spirit speaking to that little guy. How'd that little grandson, how'd that little granddaughter get a word from God? How is that possible? How is it that God speaks through, you know, he spoke through donkeys. He'll do whatever he has to to get the word, his will, and his plans to you, but you and I need to have ears to hear it, and we need to be thankful. We need to be, you know, it talks about in the Old Testament uh, in the time of Eli, the word of the Lord was scarce, there was a famine. Of the word of the Lord. It was scarce in that day. They didn't hear from God. i gonna tell you something. You and I need to be thankful. If God's speaking. And it's a word of correction. Thank you Lord. Thank you that you're still speaking to me Lord. If it's a word of encouragement. Thank you Lord. You know I need those too. I want to tell you this. When you learn to receive from the Lord. And to hear what he's speaking to you. Not only can you hear the words of correction. More easily. But you can hear the words of encouragement more easily. You'll find that God's speaking into our hearts, whether it's through His Word, through the preaching of the gospel, whether it's through situations or circumstances in your prayer closet, you and God, He's speaking to His people today. And the question is, will you listen to His voice, or are you going to be like, are you going to be like the others? They closed their ears. They wanted to shoot the messenger. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. That's this. When you see someone around you, and you know that God's, you know God's speaking. And you see someone around you who's, you know, their their heart's closed. Encourage them. Encourage them to listen. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Don't encourage them whenever they, well, I don't like what I heard. I just found that God can speak to us if we will have ears to listen. He's still speaking to the church today. So, Father God, I just ask today that the word of the Lord would not be scarce in this house. I pray, God, in our lives, in our families, or in our community, in this nation, don't let the word of the Lord be scarce. God, I pray that your word would go forth in abundance with boldness, just like seed being sown. Lord, I pray that as you're doing something new in our lives, moment to moment, hour to hour, things we don't understand, Things we can't control. We submit ourselves to your purposes and your plans for our lives. And we are committed, God, to doing your will. I'm committed to your will, to seeing your kingdom grow. Your will be done, Lord. Lord, that means that we don't have control over how you do it or how you accomplish it. But we make ourselves available that we say, God, in the midst of all of this, would you simply use me? God, would you use me? Would you make me a vessel that you can speak to and you can speak through? And I will not reject the voice of the Lord. I will not reject. I'm going to learn from the past. I'm going to learn from my past experiences, from past examples. I'm not going to be like other generations, but I'm going to follow you with all of my heart. And whenever you speak, Lord, I'm going to listen. Lord, we praise you and thank you and we give you glory and honor. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.